Hello authors, I'm Joanne Morell, children's and young adult fiction writer and author of short non-fiction for authors. Thanks for joining me for the Hybrid Author Podcast, sharing interviews from industry professionals to help you forge a career as a hybrid author, both independently and traditionally publishing your books. You can get the show notes for each episode and sign up for your free author pass over at the Hybrid Author website to discover your writing process, get tips on how to publish productively and get comfortable promoting your books at www.hybridauthor.com.au. Let's crack on with the episode. I hope you're all keeping well in whatever part of the world you reside and listen to the podcast in. We hit 30 episodes and to celebrate, it's a mid-year mashup of all the previous guests I've had on the podcast since January this year, 2022. You'll hear the very best from picture book publishing duo Paridi P. Aped and Disha Padwartan prolific author-illustrator Franny Lassac, myself on educational and public lending rights, the middle-grade magicians Dennis Knight and Christy Byrne, Sonia Danahar and Samantha Miles from Bad Apple Press, non-fiction and children's author Lorraine Horsley, the Australian Society of Authors Jodie Spiteri-James, children's author Sharon Giltrow, publishing powerhouse Karen McDermott, young adult author Holden Shepherd, women's fiction author Monique Mulligan, hybrid author Sarah Epstein, and the WA Premier's award winner Shirley Marr. Going to be amazing. In my author adventure this week, it has been school holidays. So when that happens, not a lot happens in the, with the writing. I've also been on holiday from my script writing job as well. So I've actually taken the holidays to relax and spend time with my family. The most that I have done this week, I'm keeping the practicing the pitchings going and I've signed up for the literary speed dating that they've got coming up at the end of July through the Australian Society of Authors. And I've booked two places, one with a publisher and one with an agent, and I'm going to pitch my middle grade book series to them. So I'm looking forward to that, and there'll be more on how I went with that at the end of the month. So if you love the podcast or any of the episodes has helped you further in your author career, you can now pay it forward by buying me a coffee over at www.buymeacoffee.com slash thehybridauthor. Or you can leave me a review on whatever platform you listen to the podcast on. Nothing big, just a line or two to let me and others who might write like you know how the podcast is helping further your author career. Let's all support each other. That's enough about me. Let's crack on with the episode. We had given ourselves like seven to eight months of time from start to finish. But I guess once we, when we started these, we got just, we just got so focused on these getting done that we completed the final published book in around five months. Wow. And I enjoyed every bit of the illustration process. I was absolutely on it, working on weekends and late nights most of the week. And it was smooth until all the illustrations were done. But then it got a little technical moving from there. Like formatting the book was a lot of work. There was a huge list of things that needed to be looked at. For example, page size, the book size, safe margins, making sure no content is outside this safe margin. Otherwise, it would get cut in the print format. Uh, Then the content for the copyright page, making sure all the names are correct. 
the dedication content, content, like how big it should be, how small it should be, whose name should be in it. So, and then, so did, you, uh, did you guys just draw on other picture books to see what they had done, just to lay out your book similarly? Yes, yes. I mean, I looked up different multiple sizes for um, picture books, and I really want to go for a square picture book. And then just seeing what people are doing for their dedication text and how big it is and how important it is. So yes, that was taken reference from a few of the books. Publishers have different printing priorities, like Amazon would take only RGB colors, red, green, and blue, and uh, Ingram would take CMYK colors, like sand, magenta, yellow, and black. So I had to export two sets of images, one RGB for Amazon and the other one. And after that, there was ebook formatting as well. So we've got paperback and ebook formatting. And all these was done and now we had to upload it on two platforms in pre format. That was a lot of work. In what ways did you start going out to earn an author income with your very first book? Okay, so my very first book came out as The Little Island with Macmillan in the UK. And then it came out with in with Harper, which was Harper Collins, which is was <laughs> Harper and Road then as my little island. Now the key to the success, because that first book put me on the map was the contract. What rights I gave the publisher. So I kept the US rights. So when I got, when I sold it to the US, I got a whole nother advance. My very first book when I signed with Macmillan, by the way, I got a hundred pounds, which is <laughs> nothing, but I just want to see my book in print. And, I, and the person who did my contract just ripped it apart. And I thought, oh my goodness, it's my very first book. They're not gonna go for what you've just done to that contract. And I really so scared handed it to, Back to them and they said no okay signed, signed it away which gave me that income that I probably wouldn't have had if I gave gave them all the rights to that book that book got picked up by a pro by fortuitously by a program called reading rainbow where they take a book and they put it on TV in a series it was a series in the States still going called reading rainbow and every time the show broadcast 9 million viewers saw it also Kellogg's cornflakes put it on this uh, as a bookmark on the side of a cereal packet so kids if they finished their cereal packet could cut out the bookmark <laughs> it was just all these amazing things that happened with that first book and then I got asked to do other books after that so having the first book is a whole thing about credibility but it's also very important how those those contracts what you're giving the publisher what rights you're giving them what you're keeping what is PLR and ELR. Public Lending Right, PLR, and Educational Lending Right, ELR, are Australian government programs that compensate Australian creators and publishers in respect of income lost through free multiple use of their books in public and educational lending libraries. Now, even though I'm quoting from the Australian Society of Authors, and talking about public lending right and educational lending rights in Australia, that's because this is where I'm getting the information from and that's where I reside, doesn't mean anybody else listening in other countries can't consult their local society of authors if they do have one. And also I will be sharing other countries who also have these schemes in place and there's at least 35 countries and there's also a list of countries who are in developing towards these schemes so if I I'm probably going to go through the list and read them out and if you don't hear your country on there this is opportunity for you to get in there and fight for these rights these lending rights because they're just absolutely fantastic 
So how these schemes operate is through Australian creators and publishers submitting claims for their books to the department. So PLR payments to eligible creators and publishers are determined by the number of copies their books estimated to be held in public lending libraries in Australia. So who can claim PLR and ELR for their print books? So eligible creators are authors, editors, illustrators, translators and compilers. Australian citizens, wherever they reside, so you don't have to be living in Australia to be able to claim these if you're an author and you're living overseas. Non-citizens who normally reside in Australia, eligibility ceases if residency in Australia ceases, and those who receive ongoing royalties from the sale of their book. Well, we were crippled. We were crippled because we, we decided we wanted this bestseller, right? We decided we wanted to write the perfect book, and so we wrote nothing. And I think a lot of people do that, right? Like when I started out, I had the best first page, like the, the most sizzling start, and, and never wrote beyond page two because it wasn't perfect. And by writing two books simultaneously on a crazy deadline, it can't be perfect, so you free yourself to be creative instead, and you free yourself to play and have fun. And that's what writing should be, right? It shouldn't be this major procrastination battle. It should be like, woohoo, I can't wait to. Oh, definitely. To get definitely. And I think having that other person knowing that they're waiting, that would kick me into gear. I've noticed that's definitely how I work as well. Mm. So. But that is quite strict. Two days to, you know, that, <laughs> did you feel quite stressed by that? Or was it just quite a fun process from beginning? Do you just, like you said, you just enjoyed it and had a bit of fun with it and it wasn't? No, I didn't. It was, it was, a, it was a, it was a challenge for me. It was a stretch, but it wasn't stressful because it, no. like, it, was, it was just fun. And yeah. we were only, we were only aiming for about what, Twelve or fifteen thousand words, Christy. I think. Oh, yeah, for the whole manuscript. So it wasn't middle yeah. grade. We didn't set out to write middle grade. We started with junior fiction because junior fiction needs less plotting, right? So because you're writing together, you kind of have to know what's going to happen so that you can plant seeds and all that. But with junior fiction, it's so short that there's fewer B plots. So we just cut it. We just were like, okay, you write chapter one, and I'll just read it, and then I'll just jam like I'll just like make up chapter two and then you read that and then you just whatever pops into your head that's chapter three because you kind of know the structure right like yeah there's there's a character who wants something they can't get it they try and get it they can't get it they try again there's a climax and everyone lives happily ever after or they all die <laughs> and, and that was <laughs> that was the you know like you kind of know if you're writing chapter seven that that's a climax so we had this gut feeling for how it should go but we had no plan and that was so much fun because you wake up in the morning and there's an email from Dennis and the characters have done something totally off the wall that you would never have predicted and you have to write the next chapter. Yeah. It's so much fun. That's really yeah. cool, yeah. So did you, obviously saying about the word count and stuff, how short or long were the chapters? Did you stick to a certain amount per word count each time? Or? Yeah. I, I did. I did, Joe. I stuck to the word count. Dennis, did you stick to the word count? Uh, I, don't, I don't remember. <laughs> No, no comment. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so as Christy said, we originally were planning to do junior fiction, but it just didn't seem to, for me, certainly, it was, I guess, the, the concepts, the voice and stuff were just a bit older and a bit more complicated. So that's kind of where we ended up sort of, I guess, eventually realizing that it wasn't a junior fiction book that we had on our hands. 
how how do you keep up to date with what's happening in the industry like I, I as an author I'm overwhelmed with the amount of stuff that's out there and I can't imagine you know how, how you guys stay on top of that and uh, and how how does that help you to determine book trends for the year is that something that publishers do they kind of predict what's coming ahead or you guys are already sounds like you're already ahead of the game <laughs> in the digital sphere of it. Yeah, well, I guess um, we don't really particular <laughs> trends for our list, although as Manny will probably tell you, trends do come through in manuscript submissions. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's obviously we're fully aware of what is going on around us in terms of politically, you know, socially, and that always influences what comes out in general. More so for us, as Sam said, it's a good story. It has to be well written. And I think that's what always shines through. And authors should never forget that. Not Don't write on trend just for the sake of on trend. You know, it's almost impossible to predict two years ahead. And you never know if you're even going to be published in that year when you thought it was on trend. So yeah, Sam probably has a bit more on that one. Well, there, I mean, You can stay up to date to a certain point. We have access to industry newsletters, so we get to see what other publishing houses are publishing up to six months ahead. There's always a big roundup at the end of every year about publishers talking about what's coming out next year, so you get a bit of an idea. And then there's also the big days. You know, I guess the closest thing we come to trends are the big selling days in book selling. Not so much now, but I guess they they really used to be Mother's Day, Father's Day coming up to Christmas and this campaign, which is sort of petering out new year, new you. So in February, January, you know, you get a lot of um, get fit, lose weight books. Mother's Day, you get a lot of books that people seem to think mothers would like. And that generally includes cooking books, gardening books, (laughs) hockey books, sub story books. (laughs) Father's Day is all about travel, adventure, sporting stars, Yep. your football memoir, that kind of thing. And Christmas is just go for it. That's when publishers bring out their mega star books, you know, the ones they really expect to sell well. Uh, you know, an exception to that would be any of Harry Potter that just came out anytime and sold. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's really important. Like I still go through, my, my husband will tell you how often I go, oh, this is all garbage. I'm going to give it up and go do something else. And then he'll say, oh, yeah, radio. And then I'll come back and he goes, so what do you reckon? I said, well, it's, it's okay. I can salvage something out of that. So I think that is, I think whenever you do anything creative, and I think we're our own worst critics, Yeah. Um, and sometimes you just try and silence that voice and just push on regardless. Mm-hmm. And and you're right, like anything that goes out in the world isn't going to be to everyone's taste. Mm-hmm. Like there's some fantastic books that have written, been written that I don't like at all some of the great classics of all time yeah I've struggled to read and some others that everyone says are garbage I think well actually that was a really good book I really enjoyed that so, yeah I mean it'd be a boring Different old world taste. if you would like the same thing that's <laughs> right yeah and we could almost say that's part of the process that um oh there's there's that part of the process where I think I'm shit when actually I'm good and tomorrow I'll be amazing <laughs> so. yeah. yeah it is amazing what I find really amazing is I can read a, a paragraph tonight and go well that's absolute garbage yeah and then I'll wake up tomorrow morning and look at it and go oh actually I quite like that now. genius so, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's fabulous. So no, that's great that they were on a speed train with the nonfiction. So the, sorry, did you touch on the picture book? So they're going to do that um, next. Oh yeah. So yeah. no, the picture book um, is well into production now. All of the illustrations in black and white and I've, about half of the book is now cut in colour and I've seen the cover. So there is oh, definite exciting. progress. So yeah. Yeah, um, we'll have two launch dates. There'll be a launch date in the UK and then a launch date for Australia as well. I don't know what the dates are yet, but I've got a feeling it won't be too much longer before I actually get to see the finished product, which is really exciting. And, and seeing your ideas come alive 
what this illustrator has done with just my few words on the page is just incredible. So yeah, yeah I'm so excited. And then I get the submitted material and I send the submitted material to the first choice mentor and they can have a look at that material. They look at what expectations, you know, what it is that the author wants to get out of the mentorship. They look at a, a sample of the work and um, they look at the author's bio. So in terms of what other courses they've done, how many drafts they've done you know that's the sort of other material that we get them to submit and then so the mentor or the prospective mentor will look at that and go one it fits my genre which I've already checked anyway two it sounds interesting to me and three their expectations are realistic within the time frame that they've asked for so and then the mentor comes back to me and says yep I want to work with Sue Smith and then I put the two of them together and is it usually done like via email or zoom yeah. and yeah email that's done by email Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but the mentorship is just one way that you guys support authors. You know, how, how can authors support the ASA back for all the all that you do for us? So. Yeah, well, the best way to support the ASA is become a member. The reason for that is we're a not-for-profit and it's the membership fees that fund what we can do for our authors. So we get very little government funding. So in return for becoming a member, the ASA advocates for authors' rights on such things as lending rights. And before my book released as well in 2019, I joined a debut group because a, a lot of authors, when they first bring in their books out, they, especially in America, they join other authors on social media and create a group that helps to promote each other and guide each other through the process. So there's actually authors. a group that's for debut authors specifically, like authors emerging and stuff. Yeah, well, a call out went on a Facebook page that I'm a member of asking for other debut authors and I said yeah I'd love to do that and they sort of capped it at about 20 authors and then we zoomed met and uh, yeah we just and we're still going now as the Kidlit crew even though most of us have got our second book out you know it's just nice to have somebody out there in social media land that's promoting you and that's it yeah and did you all kind of read each other's books and review them as well do you read yes. other authors' books as well as in your classrooms, I suppose, and, and you you do reviews as well as receiving them? Yeah, so part of being in that group um, was asking each other to review each other's books. So we sent electronic arcs, which you can ask your publisher for. It's basically the PDF, the final PDF of your story. So you can send that to people and ask them to review it. So we did that as a group. And I reviewed their stories. I was also a part of another debut challenge, uh, Laura Reynolds in America. She encourages people to review debut authors' books because being a new author, you don't have the following like some other authors don't need to ask for reviews. They get them. Yeah, so she encourages you to do that. So I, I purchased a few debut authors' books and I reviewed them. If I ask people to review my book, I review their book as well because it's like a give and take. Oh, wonderful. Um, yeah. And I try yeah. to review about five books yep. a month. So I thought, okay, this is the way forward. And around the same time, it just happened to kind of coincide with, I think, 2017, 2016. Uh, I lost a ton of weight. I, was, I really didn't like how I looked. I used to be obese and just very uh, unfit. Um, and so I would never take photos of myself anyway. They just didn't exist. Yeah. Uh, and so when I did start to lose a little bit of weight, I was like, um, you know, maybe I maybe I can take a photo. Maybe I can put it up on the internet, and you know, no one will kill me. 
Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, no one did kill me. And, and yeah, in yeah. fact, in hindsight, you know, I, I could have been any size and I could have taken a photo and everyone would be like, hey, nice to meet you. But at the time I felt very, very self-conscious and, and I really lacked confidence um, and self-esteem. But yeah, once I had that sense of like, I feel okay about taking a selfie and I'm going to, then it became like rampant. And now, I, you know, now I'm like this just massive like, narcissistic <laughs> selfie monster, you know, but also it works. Like I noticed, especially at the start, I don't check it anymore, but in that very early stage when I started posting, you know, here I am at some event and instead of a picture of uh, the audience at a festival, it would be me standing there at the festival and suddenly everyone was clicking on it. You know, like suddenly there were lots and lots of clicks on that image and there were lots of engagement with those with those posts. And I was like, oh, this is what works on social media. So yep. it's I, to some extent that's cynical, I guess, but uh, it's part of what I do. And then, yeah, I just really made a conscious effort to make it me. So, you know, not to be that schoolboy kind of headshot guy. I was like, I'm just going to, you know, I am a bit of a bogan and it's pretty obvious if you talk to me for five seconds. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, I'm just going to embrace that and just I'm not going to try to pretend to be this literary guy because I'm never going to be that. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to be myself and just put it out there. Uh, but there are there are actually limits. It, it might not look like it because I do share and I do probably overshare. But I think it's really important if you're in the public eye in any way that you you have to have your own secrets. You have to have things that you don't talk about. Otherwise, it becomes just this total invasion and there's no private you anymore. New, new to it. You want to surround yourself. If you're really serious about getting good quality books out there, you need people who definitely know how to proofread. And they know that proofreading isn't just looking for spelling mistakes and typos. It's a you know much bigger process than that. And the people who we've got on the team have spent you know 20, 30 years doing this. You want to find people who do have the skills to offer and you need to have a diverse set of skills. Like I said, you can't Mm. all be proofreaders. It's useful if you can all do some proofreading, but you also need somebody who can, I guess, format the books for you. And you need someone who can do a structural letter and is willing to read through and look at the big picture of a story. So it's having those different roles fulfilled so that you have all got something to give and not one person is doing all the work. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, Yeah, that's fantastic. definitely something to think about yeah mm, mm. so let's talk about your two contemporary fiction novels that you have out with Piliara Press can you tell us about them and how is your author adventure going since since you put them out yeah it's going really well actually it's been exciting and it's always nerve-wracking you know when you when you're out there trying to get your book read by people and waiting for them to to come back with reviews and stuff like that and then you know there's also this degree of acceptance that once you put a book out there it doesn't belong to you anymore and so you you know it's a learning process for you the whole way of being an author and I think that goes up and down and and so my journey is a little bit of that at the moment because I've just got a new book out and so it's just like oh what do they think of this new book and you know do they like it and then you go oh thank you yeah. they did well I've <laughs> seen the reviews it. coming in and yeah I think everyone loves it <laughs> uh it's it's look they're both very different books um wherever you go is a, a contemporary fiction story of a I suppose a marriage that's in crisis after something terrible happens that affects the marriage and the way they both react to that crisis. Because I have to distract them. I need to use smoke and mirrors to distract them from what the actual story is and who the actual bad guy is or or what's actually happening. And, you know, that's what's so fun about red herrings and things and curveballs and twists, but you have to plan them in. And so writing the kind of twisty stories that I do, you, you couldn't, if anyone, can do that by flying by the seat of their pants then 
they're amazing yeah. and I want to sit down <laughs> and I want to have a, a writing session with them and find out how they do it because I, I find these things really, you really need to plan and have a yeah. framework. Would you draw on real life, I suppose? Because in my mind, I feel like if I was to do something, which I don't write sp- suspense at all, but if I was to do something like that, I feel like I'd go off on this big tangent that was probably really unrealistic that, that we'd probably have the reader going, oh, that wouldn't happen. No. <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know, it's funny. Readers say that a lot. You know, I read book reviews of, of a book that I've read and I, I'm as a reader, I can easily suspend my disbelief unless it's um, uh, when it comes to horror and mysteries and thrillers and things, um, because I just love a good story. So yeah. I, I don't necessarily think, oh no, why would she go, you know, why would she go there when, when she's just seen or heard that it's so unplausible but then I also appreciate the fact that the author is trying to create an entertaining story here and within the parameters of human behavior yes it's 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 you know very plausible that she would go there you know I personally might not because I'm a I might be a chicken or a scaredy cat I probably would because I'm stubborn yeah. <laughs> um but but I you know like I think you know when when readers um leave reviews saying oh this would never happen in real life and then you find out that the story has been based on something that's from a true, yeah, true story. you know yeah. true story or true crime podcast or something and you think no these things actually do happen in real life but those of course uh, those reviews it, you run it runs the gamut with reviews you know you get you get um people who just love the way stories are crafted they or they fall in love with characters and will follow that character anywhere through the story and then you get people that are just all about finding plot holes and this didn't work and that didn't work and or oh I don't like purple <laughs> prose I don't like this I don't or this was too simplistic you know and you're gonna you definitely can't craft a story based on your past reviews you can you can craft a story knowing what your readership that you have created through your own words what they enjoy for sure because you think oh well I know they like this in the last one so I'm going to do a bit more of this you know Uh or I know they enjoy this so I'm going to kind of step it up a notch in this one and I'm going to blow their socks off you know so I think you definitely it's you kind of just approach stories differently but you can definitely use your past experiences to kind of make smarter decisions about yeah. what you how you approach <laughs> the next book yeah for sure well you create absolute page turners and do I, I've read your books as well and I've just <laughs> always I, I could not put it down honestly in one sittings diverse voices we need stories told from people that you don't normally hear stories being told for and I am 100% okay with somebody who isn't that person telling that story as long as it is going back to the topic of authenticity as long as it's authentic whether they've consulted people in that community for advice while they're writing or they conduct deep research and I think as long as you become like an ally and like a positive voice for the story that you're trying to tell for these group of people, I'm all for it. We need more of it. I think as, as long as it's well-researched and not sort of just gone in there because the, the author just wants to, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, think it's current yeah, and it's going to yeah. sell because they write this way or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's wrong, but I'm all for it being done right yeah yeah no I agree wholeheartedly no that's fantastic uh, so backtracking you you mentioned your fabulous editorial team who helps you <laughs> on your journey when you're, you stray from character voice uh so you're currently published with Penguin for the Glass House of Star so can you tell us about how your publishing journey with them and uh yeah how's that been I feel like my books are quite 
traditional in the sense. So that's why I've pursued the traditional route. And it's been like a a good learning experience for me working with like really good editors that are really, really good at what they're doing. And they've been in the industry for years. So I think it's helped me grow as an author. At the same time, I don't believe that the traditional route is the only route as well. Hybrid authorship, self-publishing are also very viable routes. And I think it's all based on what type of book you write and what journey you want to take with the book. My friend, author, and another member of the Secret Seven Book Club, Christy Nita Brown, uh, she's written a book called Looking for Lily, Kids Book. And she's about to embark on a self-published book journey because she wants to be indie, she wants control of her product, and she wants to be able to do things like small eco-print runs, hand-numbering her books. And for her, I believe that's the right journey. And I think it's fantastic what she's doing. So there you have it, folks. So much author gold shared by so many wonderful creators. I hope you enjoyed the mid-year mashup. Next time on the Hybrid Author Podcast, we have children's author Shan Turner on juggling writing and family. And Shan's going to talk to us about how her books and her babies complemented one another, the challenges of being a writer whilst parenting, and her tips on juggling writing and commitments, as well as talking about her work and her publishing journey. So that's it from me. Bye for now. That's the end for now, authors. I hope you are further forward in your author adventure after listening, and I hope you'll listen next time. Remember to head on over to the Hybrid Author website at www.hybridauthor.com.au to get your free author pass. It's bye for now.